Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as geographically appropriate. Hello there. This is Material, episode 96, and I am Andy Anatko of the Chicago Sun-Times, bringing you, along with my two co-hosts, the world of Google, which is really kind of the world because... It's okay. I don't know when you're going to listen to it. Probably if you've listened to it like in the next three years, they haven't completely owned the world yet, but three years in a day. So we'll go for that. With us, as always, is Russell Ivanovich. Russell, how are you doing today? I'm back, Andy. I'm back. I listened to last week's show. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's funny. I shouldn't say this, but I really enjoyed not being on it. It was fun to listen for a change and not actually be on the show. I, that, I feel that's in the I, most I, positive I, way possible. I feel the same way. It's like it's a mixture of, oh, good. isn't it wonderful that I did not have to talk for an hour that week? And my goodness, my, my presence, I just lift straight out. They, have a, they can have a great show without me. That's not good. Turns out I'm the opposite of indispensable, dispensable. <laughs> we're dispensable. It's just that we're, we, as an, as an Australian, we kind of expect that we're going to get that phone call that you open a, up a bag of potato chips and three spiders went into your eyeballs and killed you. Only three? That that's pretty rare for a bag of potato chips. You got to look for at least four or five before you before you know it's safe. Before you can put your hand right to the bottom. Well, the the other thirty one in the bag like gorged themselves on high, high fat chips and they died of uh, coronary artery disease. And they're delicious, by the way. Salty spiders. Mmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and with us, with us, thankfully, uh, is now when I I made sure that I knew how to pronounce your first name, but I should have asked you how to pronounce your. We last name. we didn't I'm go sorry. through the whole name. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's like two other parts to it. So, um, yeah, I'm Quinn Twit now. <laughs> but to, and you you are a, a Google Google all-star. You are the you are one of those people that Google has picked to say to tell to talk to other developers and say that perhaps if you were to whatever you're whatever you're doing in your life, if you were to somehow pattern yourself at least partially after what Quinn is doing, you will not go far wrong. Is that correct? Wow, I, I don't know. I don't know about all store. I think maybe just like a small dwarf, like one of those like little dwarf stars <laughs> off in the distance. I, I, I saw the jacket. Glow, glow, glow I saw faintly. it. it had, I believe Google Developer Expert or something written on it. What jacket? <laughs> the one you're wearing just before. Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I am a Google Developer Expert, which I suppose means that I know some things about Google type things, uh, and specifically Android. So maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> I can't advise Super. kind of following my path in life. I, I don't know where that would lead you. It's led me okay, but I, far be it for me to lead anyone else astray. But it's kind of worked out for me so far. <laughs> I think it led me here, who, which is a good place to be. <laughs> that's we're, we're we're glad that we led you here. But you know what you say that it really puts me in mind that I think that almost everybody who is doing something they absolutely love has something similar to say. I don't want you to, to lead you astray because like we we do what we love because we work so hard. Like we, we love it so much that we that was all of our focus for a long period of our lives, if if not like up until right now. And we say, no, I don't want you to to spend your high school years running home from school so you can write code. I want you to go out and like ride your bike and meet people and date people. Don't follow my path, kids. <laughs> <laughs> or you might end up with a vitamin D deficiency um, or, or something go. like that well, because that, of lack of well, sunlight. That, that that is the upside because those of us who are you know, we're, we're three geeks, which means that we spend most of our times, most of our childhoods, like not being outside doing competitive like swim and competitive running, so that when we enter our middle age and all of the first group of people have are divorced, they've been divorced for four or five years, and now they're dating again. 
we have beautiful, unlined, unskinned, damaged faces. <laughs> you know, we don't. Our our knees are perfectly good because we didn't blow them out playing pickup basketball games. We 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 sort of primed ourselves for Act Two or Act Three of life. That that, that speaks well of us. Well, see, this is why I moved to Australia, Andy, because you only need about thirty seconds of the Australian sun, and you've got all the vitamin D you need for the rest of your life. It's it's perfect, and it, it's all year round, especially here in Adelaide. You don't have to worry like is the, the sun comes out every day. It's fine. You just step outside for thirty seconds, you run back in, you're good. Vitamin D done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Russell, you 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 get you get the first act of actual uh, actual conversation because yes, you have an actual Galaxy S eight. So I, I I could I could be you know king coffee of the universe a few weeks ago because I you know I have used a gal I don't know what you where you're getting your opinions from but I've used a Galaxy S8 for over forty minutes during a demo area but I think you will have some more substantive things to say what what do you like about <laughs> it go ahead well Andy let me tell dazzle you dazzle us make us feel bad I showed dazzle you I had some time off for the school holidays so I planned to kind of you know stay home and look after the kids you know do my bit whatever and then I, I got an email that uh, the Galaxy S8 had not only shipped but it was actually on board for delivery that day and this was on my day off and I may have convinced the kids that you know going to the office was a very good idea you know <laughs> come and see where daddy works you know see what it's all like play play on the VR headset that we've got and the real reason I was here of course was to pick this thing up so I've had it for um, almost a week and I thought I thought it'd be interesting to to kind of give you the impressions that I, that I've got over the past week the very first initial impression I got Andy when taking this thing out of the box was Oh my goodness. I did expect it to be pretty, you know, it's a pretty phone. It's really well designed. It's, you know, the curved edges and the the really small bezels sort of top and bottom. But when I actually powered this thing on, I'm like, wow, that screen is really impressive. Just the way it goes, you know, it kind of just, it's not like the, I've had the, I had the S7 Edge. I had one of the weird half curved ones that only had a curve on, on the right side, I think. And it's not like those curves. I think Samsung has finally found the perfect curve is that a thing so the the way it just sort of gently curves off the edge it doesn't wrap all the way you know to the edge of the phone it just gently sort of curves off it it feels like the display is actually on top i guess they call that laminating or something i'm not really sure but it it's really vibrant it's just amazing it's it's really tall as well and that takes a little bit of getting used to you kind of open you're like oh because the phone is narrower than i expected it would be um you know just looking at the pictures and it's obviously taller as well and initially holding it you're like how am i going to reach those top bits but Honestly, that that part of it's been great. Um, I will say, pretty much the only negative I've come across, and a lot of other people have commented this on this as well. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Is they put the fingerprint sensor here in the top right? Ah, goodness knows why. You know, there's some rumours that they were trying to put it under the screen and didn't get the tech right in time. There's some rumours that it just physically wouldn't fit in the centre of the phone. I'm not sure why, but I can tell you that even after a week, that is a terrible, terrible place to put a fingerprint sensor. I. I really haven't gotten used to it. Like I, physically now I have to, if I want to use it, I have to pull out my phone. I have to look at the back of the phone and I have to physically place my index finger down, which, I mean, that that works, but it's not great. Um, the next thing I tried was the the iris recognition. Initially I was a bit sceptical. I'm like, I don't want to give a picture of my irises to Samsung. Like I trust them, but not that much. Um, but it turns out, you know, for all intents and purposes, they say it's stored locally in the phone. It's not transmitted to Samsung, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, okay, I, I think I'm okay with that. Um, so I set up my eyeballs. It was a very weird experience. It asked you to, you know, open up your eyes really wide and stare at the phone. I'm like, okay. It also says if you have glasses, Andy, or contacts, you have to take them out. Um, thankfully, yeah. I don't have either of those, but that really doesn't sound convenient if you do. Like, this is probably not the feature for you. Um, and you have to hold it really close to your face. So it's probably about, you know, 20 centimeters in in real measurements. I'm not sure what that is in, in your weird sort of American units. But 
it works. It's it's a little bit off-putting though because the way you unlock the phone is you, you kind of press the button and now I'm holding it to my face and I kind of have to open my eyes a little bit and it, there's something about seeing a picture of your eyes on the screen that's very disconcerting and I reckon Samsung <laughs> came across this in user testing because <laughs> right in this the way you set up this feature, there's all these things like you can make yourself look like a bunny rabbit or like a, a cat or whatever. There's all these little things that they can put around your eyes and I think the user testing must have come back at that it feels a little bit creepy to be staring at you know this high-res image of my eyeball and they're like, we can fix this. We'll just put pretty things around it. You can be a rabbit. Everybody wants to be a rabbit. Literally, you're staring into the abyss and you find that the abyss <laughs> is staring back into you. That's never In rabbit form. In rabbit form. As a rabbit. I, I don't know that the rabbit or cat thing does anything for me. It just it almost makes it harder to unlock because you can't – some of them actually physically cover up your eyes as well. It's like mm, you kind of have to be able to see them. So – it works really well. I, I assume it's secure. You know, they allow you to use things like Samsung Pay with it. I'm still not 100% sort of comfortable with it. So I've kind of gone back to unlocking it awkwardly with my finger. Um, moving on from that, people have asked me, you know, what's the battery life? What's the camera like? Um, the battery life is good. Like I don't have any problems with it. It gets through a full day, you know, left on about 30%, about the same as the the smaller of the pixels that I have. Um, the camera is great. It like um, the I believe the sensor is the same as sort of last year's and they've done some sort of image um, processing improvements, and it seems slightly better than the S7. Not, I mean, you put two photos side by side and it looks a little bit less blown out on the S8. You know, some of the colours look a little bit better. It's not a massive difference, but it's it's a good camera. Um, I will say this is this is a recent trend in smartphone design that I both love and hate, and that's it is quite slippery. It's not as slippery mm-hmm. as an iPhone. For those of you that have iPhones, that those are bars of soap basically for me. Like using one of those without a case is really hard. Um, the Pixel, on the other hand, is like... It's like a sanding block. It's like, you know, the thing you get when you're sanding the wall. Or it is really, you hold on to it, it's not going anywhere. That's never slipping out of your hand. This is somewhere in between. So obviously the back is is sort of all smooth glass. Um, if you do have oily fingers, that is quite grippy. But the second you try and do, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you put the phone to your ear and you try and hold it with your shoulder. I was talking to my sister the other day, you know, trying to use both hands for something else, and the phone started sliding down my face. I'm like, ah, oh, no, stop. So it... It does mean you probably, you know, if you want to be careful about it, you need to put a, a case on it. And this is where I kind of struggle because it's, it's such a pretty phone. And then you have to go out and there's all these big bulky cases. I'm like, I don't want a big bulky case. And Samsung has that weird, I don't know if you've seen this, um, Andy and Wind, but there's a case that goes on the top and bottom that doesn't really connect with itself and it's all different colors. Yeah, and it's... it's- it's that 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 occurred to me that the whole the whole magic of this is that as you say it's like there is no margin to this whatsoever and it's beautiful that you just see pixels <laughs> you see pixels and you see the skin of your hand and that's it like so there is really no place for that case to grip the front of it unless you want to ruin that whole effect so you may as well get a Galaxy S5 or something <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like so, we, need, we, need, we need this is just a case for advancement of like case technology. Like eventually they'll have like some kind of like magnetic field that sits around, like kind of like wraps the phone and just kind of like hovers in your hand so that you can kind of appreciate the <laughs> the beauty of the phone while still protecting it with this kind of like really interesting like kind of like a magneto thing or something. That would be I don't amazing. Know. Some kind of like electromagnetic like thing where it can actually sit physically in the palm of your hand. But if you drop it, it just kind of like just gently floats like above the floor. I'd, I'd, then you can catch it. <laughs> so yeah, the first case made out of upsidasium. Oh. From, the, from the old Bullwinkle show. Okay, so I have to tell you. Uh, sorry, what, the, I'll, 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 one, tip, one tip that I want you to try because I don't want to try it on my loner S8 when it comes. I had uh, the last phone that I had that had an all glass back was I think the iPhone 5 maybe. And I had the exact same problems that you were oh, yeah. having. What, which I, what, what, they, they had a line. They, right, uh, I think 
I'm sorry. Now I've just combobulated myself. My apologies. Uh, but I had a, it had a glass back, and my problem was that you know I would when I'm sitting down on the sofa, I put it on the armrest. No matter how many times it slowly starts to slide off and then plunk onto the floor, I would still. I'm such in the habit of doing that. So I actually just went and got some like uh, that that non skid like carpet tape where it's like th- a 3M product and it's like sort of like a nubbly rubber yeah. on the top. And so I covered up this beautifully designed back that I'm sure that you know Johnny Ive and the rest of the design team like they they missed their kids' graduation and their baseball games and their spouses left them because they're working so hard at making the back beautiful and so Andy went and went to Home Depot and slapped this big rubber sticker on the back of it and it solved the problem i liked it but i, I was worried with with the S5 with the Galaxy i'm wondering if like that will trap in a bunch of heat and make bad things happen um, it doesn't. I, I had exactly the same problem with the four and the four S that you did, Andy. I once put it up on my wallet, which was sitting on a cupboard, and the cupboard's—I don't know—a good two meters off the ground. And I just watched it slide off, and I had to kind of dive and <laughs> catch my phone. It does seem more grippy than that. I don't know what the technical aspects of that are, but the glass is a little bit more grippy. Um, a, a few quick other points. People have asked, you know, is this worth upgrading from a Pixel? From probably not. If you've got a Pixel, you've already got you know, the, the latest and greatest from Google. Um, the other thing is often people ask, you know, how, how how overbearing is the Samsung software on there? Do you feel like you, you know, you have to go take a shower every time you sort of touch your phone? It's, and I, I say this in all honesty, it gets better every year. Samsung pairs more and more things back. They, they get more and more cautious. Having said that, I still personally prefer the Google keyboard. I installed that. I still prefer, you know, a different launcher that looks more like the Pixel launcher. So I installed a separate launcher. But this is the first time having a Samsung product that after doing those two things, and sorry, and switching the home button with the the multitasking button because Samsung has always had their back button on the right. Yeah. No idea why. I mean, if you're used to that, sure, but it's not my thing. After doing those two, three things, I'm like, I don't feel like I need to do anything else. It's it's set up the way I wanted. It. It's a really nice device. I'm pretty happy with it. The last thing I want to say is there's this giant button on the side, the the Bixby Bixby button. Um, I don't want to log into a Samsung account, so I haven't tested this. I'm sorry, readers. I will do a lot of things. Our uh, listeners, sorry, I will do a lot of things for you, but I just won't do that. So I don't, I don't know what that does. Apparently, it's not fully sort of featured yet. I don't really care. Yeah. I, and the funny thing is Samsung released a software update just this week. It hasn't gone to everyone yet, but that stops apps being allowed to remap that button because they were catching the key press event that happens when you click that button. They're like, you can do anything with this. And now Samsung's like, no, 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 no. You can't do anything with this. So that's a little bit disappointing. But yeah, overall, I, I think I that was- really nice device. I w- I was really disappointed with that move because it, what I guess what the developers were doing, it wasn't even like they were remapping the key so much as they were detecting when the Bixby app was being launched and using that to trigger what do you want to, to do uh, in, instead or after or after that. Uh, and so it basically for a lot of people it was a solution to, well, because Bixby doesn't really do much right now, I want that button to do something. But seeing I'm so I'm. I wish that Samsung saw that as an opportunity to say, let's put something in preferences to say that this by default will be the Bixby button. But look, if you want to map that button to another thing, or if we want, or even if uh, we're going to allow developers to have access to that button. And of course, if you go, you know, developers put an app on the Play Store that does, makes it do cool things. I've always thought that anytime that uh, there's a phone that has a dedicated button for doing something that I use all the time, I love it. Like I love phones that have like a dedicated camera button. I know they're I know they're they're quick uh, quick shots to it, but how about one button that gets me to messaging or one button that gets to it? Be uh, Android is supposed to be all about you get to customize the experience to make it into your phone. The idea of having a hardware clicky button that gets to, you can map to do whatever you want it to do. Boy, that would get me spending an extra eighty dollars for this person's phone instead of this other person's phone. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. And Samsung is no stranger to settings. Let's face it, there are some very weird settings in this phone. They, they've still got that Samsungy thing. They, they've started hiding it sort of deeper and deeper and deeper. But you can still go into, you know, settings, advanced, blah, and configure, you know, taking a photocopy of the screen with the, the sort of palm of your hand and all this other sort of stuff that <laughs> Samsung do. I never so- got that to work once. <laughs> I did, and it was it was. I, I get it. I get it. You know, photocopies go left to right or whatever, and they scan the thing. And you're doing the same thing with your hand. But I'm like, it's it's not for me. Maybe maybe some other people out there like that sort of thing. But so, so it is odd to me. And the only thing I can think of is that they want big speed to be a big deal, and they don't want, I guess, the press around people are remapping the button to something else. But I do wonder if they're kind of digging a hole for themselves, if they're just making it worse. You know, by stopping people from customizing that button, potentially they're drawing even more attention to the fact that. Maybe maybe not everyone wants that button to to launch their assistant. Or maybe they should. Maybe they should. The 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 update shouldn't. Instead of just uh, forcing uh, stopping the remapping apps, it actually causes like a little like piece of scrap of paper to float on top of the screen with a handwritten thing. I O U one virtual <laughs> assistant. Love Samsung. Now, uh, what, now you get back to the screen and you really liked it. I, I was reading a, online a bunch of people who are saying that oh my god this my screen is broken because it's it's all red or it's like all it's really really heavily tinted like were you having any problems like that no and I, I did see a few sort of YouTube videos of people explaining it. I did see um one reviewer got his hands on about twenty different Samsung phones and there's definitely some variations between the different screens <laughs> did they did they get their hands on these phones like at the press event like during the, during the teardown no, 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 this, or? Was, this was his sponsor or whatever got him 20 phones I, I guess they just have 20 s8s lying around as, as you do um I won't mention the name of the sponsor because they're not our sponsor but it's um it was funny and there is some variations obviously in the screens and you know screens are calibrated different I'm not a screen technician from what I can tell yes some people's phones do sort of skew to the red mine mine doesn't and apparently Samsung going to be releasing an update that um, there's already deep within the settings there's already a thing where you can play with how much red do you want how much blue do you want how much I'm going to get this wrong green or yellow on screens green red green and blue yep. yes cuz it's the opposite in, in software, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, you can adjust those things. Apparently, Samsung's going to put in even more stops and let you adjust that even further if, if that's your thing, but I haven't had that issue, Andy. I'm not saying it's not an issue. It could be one of those, you know, amazingly important issues. It could just be one of those things where someone gets pressed. You know, a new phone launches, there's always something that people are like, look at this, it's broken, it's horrible. Yeah, they did. A, they, so there's going to be a software update. Apparently, the uh, only bug that it's addressing is that uh, apparently some users in in uh, South Korea are having problems with Wi-Fi due to I think the sort of like Wi-Fi base station that a lot of subscribers get f- with their internet service that doesn't like the S8 for some reason. So only South Korean users are going to get that update, but everybody's going to get one that uh, maybe surfaces that screen color control. So people can see it better. They did have a, make a statement. They didn't classify the colors uh, cast as a problem. They simply said, and this is a quote: uh, "Galaxy the Galaxy S8 was built with an adaptive display that optimizes the color range, saturation, and sharpness depending on the environment." So saying that maybe it's because your your the lights in your living room are a little bit too green and it's tricking our poor innocent young S8 into screwing up the screen. Maybe you should get better bulbs. I don't, <laughs> Samsung bulbs controlled by a smart home controller. Or you're an engineer and you haven't gotten enough sun, so it's kind of dimming itself to let you know you should really go outside <laughs> and experience them. You know, the vitamin D is a very important mineral for the body. You should really go outside. Take me with you, but really you go outside and get that vitamin D. I think it's kind of an advisory thing, really. Yeah, I've, I've had that issue this week. So I've switched back to the Gear S2 as well just to get the full Samsung immersion experience. You know, the things I do for our listeners. And this thing, <laughs> I don't think it had this originally or I, or I had switched it off. 
But it now tells me if I've been sitting over an hour like without moving, it's like, hey, you've been sitting down for a long time. It's time to get up. And at first I'm like, you don't tell me what to do, watch. I do whatever I want. But now I'm like, oh, an hour and a half. Maybe I should get up. Maybe, maybe there's a future to the technology just pushing us to be better humans. Yeah, there's, uh, when I found a <laughs> I, I went into my uh, Google has uh, deep in, uh, in settings. It has the here is the here's the information we're collecting about you and you can selectively turn things off and destroy stuff. And that's when I saw that there is since the last time I checked, which was a long time ago. Now there is uh, uh, like a Google map calendar view that shows you like where the phone traveled uh, on a day to day basis. And that's when I like saw like last week's like, OK. It went to on Monday. It went from the house to the end of the driveway. Okay, that was trash. That was trash day. And then back in the house, didn't leave the house on the next day. Didn't leave the house the next. Yeah, maybe I should make sure that I don't like stay inside the house for three days at a, at a time. I was. I, I assure you, everybody. I wasn't. It's not like I was drinking. It's not like I was passed out or or, or like you know fighting imaginary bats in the basement it's just like you know you, you get you, you get into a workflow and you're also talking to people through this wonderful bit box thing you've got plugged into your computer and you forget that oh that's right the real people are in are 3d and they have smells about them and okay maybe i should look into that don't do it andy it's, it's not worth it <laughs> I, I, we'll just quickly say that the last problem i had is that because I pre-ordered this from Samsung and I, I swore I'd never do that again. I did because they sent me a shiny um, new Gear VR thing which now comes with a controller. Um, my super 10-second review of that is it's pretty much like Daydream but built by Oculus. The controller has all the same problems with trying to centre itself like in the, you know, to a place you have to keep recentering it. In fact, you recenter it exactly the same way as Daydream. Slightly different software obviously because it comes from Oculus and, and not Google but it's pretty much the same experience, you know, no... If, if you like that sort of thing, it's the same. Um, I did have the problem, though, that I got it before my carrier was ready for it. So it comes with voice over LTE switched on and Wi-Fi calling switched on. And because my carrier hadn't enabled that at their end, I would call people and they would talk to me and they couldn't hear me at all. So I'm just sitting here like talking <laughs> to them. They couldn't hear me. I couldn't call my voicemail because it wouldn't pick up the dial tones that I was pressing. So it's press one for this and I'm mashing one repeatedly and nothing's happening. And I didn't know what to do, but I just switched those two settings off and it worked fine. And I contacted them and they're like, yeah, that phone isn't out yet. We're selling it next week or whatever. I'm like, all right. So presumably by then it'll be all on and ready. If you're in Australia and you're wondering why no one can hear you, that's, that's what you need to switch off. Hopefully there'll be more content for like 3D and for like VR stuff after the uh, uh, the VR, excuse me, the Gear 360 camera V2 guest release. I still haven't announced a release date. They're only saying spring. Uh, I've been having a lot of, I, I can't wait for the rest of the world to get their hands on it because it, I'm surprised by how much fun I'm having with it. We I talked about it at length a couple of weeks ago, but the the only bummer is that I'm really surprised. Um, uh, when I use, of course, you use the phone app to transmogrify the file that the camera records into like a fully formatted and warped 360 degree shell, and so if I post it to Facebook. It gets put into uh, Facebook automatically recognizes. Okay, this is a 360 degree. So we'll 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 give you we'll embed it in your timeline as a navigable 360 degree photo. Flickr does the exact same thing. I thought for sure that like if I put into Google Photos, I, I assumed that I would be showing people these photos in Google Photos. That once I simply up it, it syncs up, it's just gonna. I'm really really shocked that Google Photos does not automatically sense that this is a 3D or a VR uh, or 360-degree photo and produce a proper viewer for it. I don't know why that is, and I'm hoping that there is a really smart reason why, and it's not that someone is saying, oh, 
damn it. Todd! <laughs> you were supposed to have done that. Uh, Todd! Stupid Todd. I think, I think the online version does that, Andy, at least for the Ricoh 360-degree camera that I have. I don't know if they're potentially two different formats, but I had the same issue as you. I opened it in the app on the phone and I'm like, this is not 360. And I went to the web, like the web version of it, and that one for some reason works. I don't know if you want to maybe check in there. I will check. I don't know. It's usually like with um, camera, camera, especially like with the camera APIs on, at least on mobile, speaking as an Android developer, sometimes, especially with metadata, it can be really tricky for a single app to handle all the metadata and all the, the, all the metadata of all the cameras of all the phones. And it becomes like a really tricky process. And especially like trying to make the experience really consistent across like, you know, multiple versions of Android and multiple devices gets really tricky. So it might be that Todd is not quite getting to that thing, but maybe Todd has about a hundred other kind of different kind of like, I guess, permutations of like software and hardware that he has to deal with. Not to excuse Todd, but um, a lot of times when I did it with photos can be a tricky thing. When you're you're really, really kind, but it's exactly the sort of coddling that Todd Todd looks for people like you. I used to be one of those people. I used to say, you just don't understand Todd. He really, really works hard. He he has a stressful home life. He's been waiting for his Xbox has been screwing up like nobody's business. Let's uh, okay. if if you want to take if you want to be chief vice president in charge of Todd from now on. Got all power to you in. No, I, I don't see that's why the thing, like I think some of like the best camera apps that you'll see on a particular device is usually that manufacturer's application. And usually because it's easier for that manufacturer to um kind of conform to their particular camera, their camera drivers and things like that. So again, I'm not trying to excuse Todd. Todd really should be doing a better job. You have a single job, Todd. You, you should get it right. But um at the same time, as someone who has like poked at the camera APIs a little bit, I have a little bit of sympathy, but we'll still shame Todd. We'll we'll just do that. I'll stand with you, Andy. Let's just shame Todd into getting it right. We, we have a show title, hashtag uh, Todd Shaming. Um, I will say <laughs> Todd's sister Tina, who works on the Google Home team, has potentially kind of done a very similar thing to what Todd's done. So I, I got the update to my Google Home. I got multi-user accounts on there. It was a little bit tricky to set up. I had to find it. I had to switch my phone back to US English because it's still not supported in Australia. But anyway, I turned it on and now it recognizes, you know, my voice versus other people's voices. That's cool. But what Tina forgot is that, um, when one of us goes shopping, so I go shopping or my wife goes shopping, we need the complete shopping list, Tina. We don't need my version of the shopping list and my wife's version of the shopping list. And all it does is now when I add stuff to my shopping list, it goes to my personal shopping list. When my wife does it, it goes to her shopping list. And now we have two shopping lists and the Google Home's like, you can share this with the other person if you want. I'm like, I don't want to share this. A week ago, this worked fine. They all went to the same shopping list. So that that part of it's weird. It's nice to have separate calendars. It does a really good job of the voice recognition. I've been trying to do the high-pitched voice thing and talk like other people and that hasn't fooled it. It's like, no, you're still Russell. I know who you are. You can't fool me with that. I'm like, that's pretty cool. So yeah, if if Tina, if you could get on that, you know, after you've had your family meeting with Todd and, you know, he's finished crying about the 360 photo thing, if you could maybe give us back one shopping list, I'd, I'd be forever indebted to you. You know, you know, well, I don't want to pass along rumors. I'm just, I'm just, let's just, let's just say that hypothetically, let's say that I were a high ranking engineer for an unnamed, really powerful tech company. And I were conducting an affair on with my husband. And the last thing I would want is for my husband to know the things that I was buying to give as anniversary gifts to the person that I'm cheating on him with. I would then, the last thing I would do would be to let my husband be able to see 
like the, uh, my shopping list in any way, shape, or form, or make it accidentally possible for me to say, "How about a high karate soap on a rope, uh, a, a musk musk pack, a gift gift pack, uh, hand delivered to?" Like, no, I don't. I'm just saying. <laughs> she, she's she's just very very happy around the office every second Friday. You know, when she left work early on Thursday, I've said as much as I should probably say. We're getting into the real personal lives of Tina and Todd here, but um, Tina, and, you and, you you be <laughs> Tina. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's not my business. I'm saying it's fine to them to be to be separate. I understand some people. You know, you might live with someone that you don't shop together. That that's fine. There's no problems at all. Um, even if the default is you have your own shopping list, I'm cool with that. Just give us the ability to go back to one shopping list if we yeah. want. Maybe like a checkbox somewhere because now when I go shopping, I'm I'm sort of browsing the supermarket aisles and I'm flipping between these two lists. And it's they've also moved it out of Google Keep, which I assume was a thing where they were racing to release features and they're like, oh, we need a to-do app, Google Keep, done. And now it's no longer part of Google Keep. It's just a separate web app and the web app is really slow and flicking between those things on a 4G network is really slow and I'm just, you know, I know it's a stereotype. I'm a man in a shop, you know, can't find my way around. I know my way around Woolworths, all right, guys, but I still I have to sit there and flick between these two things to try and find everything and it just makes me look silly. I don't want to look silly, Tina. Help me out. Are you, are you sure it's Are you sure it's it's Google Keep and, and Google Home? So are you really sure? I mean, I'm, are we misdirecting here? I mean, you got to. It, it does sound like you're projecting, Russell. A little bit. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but I'm 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 not a, I'm not a developer. I don't even know how I'd solve that problem. It, it seems like a really as simple a problem as it is to define. Like, how do you say, I know this is user A, this is user B. I know that there are four people in this house. I know that these two people are the parental units. They have access to this shopping list they do not have access to that list meanwhile spouse a has i don't know how to how i would manage that through voice not only that but my kids like to do funny things with that the other day i looked on there there was a new brother they wanted a new brother they wanted a new cat apparently and there was some other gibberish on there as well so i think they've been talking to the google home you know just giggling to themselves like add something to the shopping list and i'm not 100 sure i have to check but i think that now goes to a third shopping list andy so there's three different shopping lists <laughs> All the cookies. Well, who put that on the shopping list? Exactly. Now, when the you you added something to the to the to the list, there's a oh, I did uh, all the Google Play stuff. There's, just there's actually, awards got listed. yeah. Just yesterday, um, as I was trying to like do homework um, to talk to you all today, actually the Google Play Awards nominees just dropped yesterday, and I think it was like, last year was the inaugural year for the Google Play Awards, and last year was kind of like a big list of awesome apps, but this year they've kind of gone a bit uh, a bit beyond, above and beyond and they have actually new 12 new categories and they've kind of even broken it down to like AR, VR and even added some cool things like accessibility and social impact. So if nothing else, even if you aren't particularly interested on what cool apps get which awards, you can at least look at this list and, and kind of take a look at some really neat apps on there. There's some things that I'm really, that I, I really, really love as well, like especially in the kind of like the standout indie games. Like there's this great, you know, game called Reigns, which, which, was, which I was kind of playing around with earlier and just like a lot of really interesting things to try. So, um, and I, I kind of like that they split it up and I thought the accessibility category was really interesting just because like before like last year when you did the the google play awards they kind of just gave you this big list of like hey there's a whole bunch of cool apps but now they actually have this like list and they've broken it down so you can kind of see like the really just kind of get a really better idea of what the cool things that people are doing so like for example like um one of the um nominated awards is if this then that which is this really cool app where you can kind of hook up like different things together and create these awesome chains of like applets i think they called it and it actually is nominated for accessibility which is a pretty important 
uh, topic and a pretty important, I think, thing that, you know, at least us as devs, we should be looking at for. So I'm, I'm pretty interested to see, like, who comes out on top and just to try these different apps and, and try to give certain things that they're nominated for a try. So and does the, I, I, haven't, I don't follow the, the awards. Do they, I love it when awards like this can surface apps that are not necessarily high earners, not necessarily popular apps, but they're just great and they're people who just want these apps to get a lot more attention because they're just awesome. Does, does does Google Play do that a lot, or is it just payola? I no, I know. I I, th- I think it's a good way, a, a good recognition. I think that's why it's what's really interesting about the kind of breakdown into categories this year is that you can kind of go to different apps if you're kind of in the mood for something, right? Like if you're really in the mood for a cool indie game, or if you're really in the in a good mood for whatever the greatest game like this year was, which apparently Pokemon Go, which I know that y'all like to talk about sometimes, actually was <laughs> one of the nominated games. So, and then you know, like yeah, like like if this and that, kind of like just kind of see what the different things that people are doing in different like areas. Like I think like I think last year was like Robin Hood, right? Which is like another great app. Um, and I keep mentioning apps that I happen to know people who work on them, but they're, they're just really good. Like you said, good ways to surface them. Um, and they kind of have other awards like this too. I think there's also a Google material design uh, yeah, set of awards, I've which of I think someone, yeah. yeah, someone, someone who might be on this podcast <laughs> may work for a company that has been nominated before. But again, it's like, yeah, like you said, it's a good way to kind of recognize people that are doing really awesome things. So Definitely worth get an actual, out, is there an actual statue or plaque that they can put on the I, wall? I, I think so. Yeah, if you go, if you, there's actually a trailer for the awards, which kind of shows this really cool, like little, yeah, it's like a little statue, a little like kind of, uh, was it like a like a crystal stalagmite, stalactite looking metal thing that's like all folding up. And I, I don't so know, they're kind I of making it kind of a big heavy. deal. It's very heavy. And maybe, is it? maybe you leave it on your desk once you've won one. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just go into so, the next so room that, and go get it and show it to us. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see it. You know you want to. Just come on. <laughs> uh, no, uh, what, what I was going to say is that I think it's – it's. I agree with you 100%. It is really cool to see um, developers recognize in that way. And congratulations to anyone who made you know any one of those lists. It's, it's not easy. You know, I know that Google spends a lot of time. You know, They, they whittle all these apps down into until they have just enough for that category. I mean, that can't be an easy job. There's a lot of high-quality apps on Android these days. So, yeah, if you're in that list, thumbs up. And if you, even if you didn't make it this year, you know, next year could be your year. So you can get a, a very heavy, like, you know, statue that you could probably, you know, bludgeon the next person in the next room with. Oh, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> my, I might be projecting a little bit myself. <laughs> well, you know, if you, if, if you do win one of those awards, you know what you should do? You should tr- don't, don't cook for yourself tonight. Or maybe you should cook to yourself, but still treat yourself to a really wonderful meal. Don't, wouldn't you agree, Russell? Yes, Andy, I agree 100%. And it just so happens that this week's sponsor is Blue Apron and this episode of Material is brought to you by them. They're the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. So Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron Seafood is sourced sustainably, understand it's developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef, chicken and pork come from responsibly raised animals and their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. So each Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-proportioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. So I know Yasmin, when she was still on the show, used to get this sort of delivered quite regularly and it sounds really cool. You know, they give you all the ingredients, they give you the exact recipe for how you you know, have to cook this up or whatever, and you do it, and it's delicious. 
Um, the other cool thing is no recipes are repeated within a year. So you still get the variety. You don't have to eat the same thing over and over again. That's pretty pretty kind of cool. And here's, you know, a sample of some of the, the meals you might be getting. Maybe maybe like baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. Maybe you even know what those things are. Maybe you want smo- <laughs> smoky seared catfish with glazed udon noodles. Sounds kind of cool. Maybe you prefer sweet and sour salmon. You know, you're into a different kind of fish with bok choy and ginger fried rice. They're just some of the meals that you can get on there. So Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. Uh, there's no commi- uh, weekly commitment. You just get the deliveries when you want the deliveries. Uh, they have a freshness guarantee, which means their ingredients arrive ready to cook. You know, you can make it right away. And if you check out this week's menu, you know, using our promo code, you get three free meals with your first purchase. So uh, that's including free shipping, by the way, by going to blueapron.com slash material. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait, blueapron.com slash material. And we want to thank Blue Apron so much for their support of this show and Real AFM, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You you are you are not to be blamed. Uh, people who are writing, thank you, thank you for advertising with us. But uh, we're we're nerds, we're developers, we're geeks, we're tech people. We are probably going to trip up over the pronunciation of almost any commonly <laughs> commonly used vegetable. We're we're snack cakes. We got gotcha. you. Uh, food additives. We got gotcha. you. But give us a phonetic pronunciation for like carrots. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I heard it's orange. I don't know. Carrot. I don't know. Some kind of French food, probably. <laughs> oh, like those roundy fruits that I saw. Uh, uh, there's a Bugs Bunny cartoon in which she he was dressed as Carmen Miranda, and she's wearing this hat with all kinds of like round orangey things. That's and, the one. Yeah, ah, I believe go. that's a carrot. Carrot. Yeah. Good. Exactly. See, we learn everything every day. <laughs> um, boy, uh, one of the favorite things I read last week was uh, a piece published in uh, the Atlantic online with a really great title to called torching the modern day library of alexandria uh, and it is a beautifully written and researched long form eulogy of uh, google's universal library project uh, this was uh, this was the project that was huge buzz and huge uh, controversy let's say amongst uh, content makers uh, where they said we're going to scan every single book that has ever been published and we're going to make it all searchable so that uh, no matter what has ever been written learned expressed uh, people can if it's public domain anybody any in the anywhere in the world with a web browser will be able to not only find it and read it and if it is still in copyright they will be able to at least find it uh, find like the sentence that their term uh, uh, goes in and then they will be free to then go out and buy it someplace but at least they'll know that here's a book that has the stuff that you're interested in uh and it goes and unfortunately if so uh google we uh this is uh, what, what what I really loved about this project, and it was really reminded me of uh, this this long piece in the Atlantic was that uh, Uber is in the news because they are abusing the concept of let's just not ask permission to do this. We think this would be really cool, and hopefully by the time we build it, we will be able to defend it legally. And they're using it to like kind of cheat drivers and cheat users and spy on people 
but this is an example of people using it for good. It really was like the two, you know the two original founders of Google saying that what if what if like Google's again what if we, it's all this information is not of use to the world if the world can't see it and can't find it. And so, uh, they, according to, according to uh, the piece, I had no idea. I knew there was a huge, huge uh, project. I had no idea that it was the first, very first moonshot project that Google had. Uh, that it had four. They spent four hundred million dollars on this. So, like, a, a, a legitimately, a fraction of a billion dollars on this. They scanned. In the end, they'd scanned 25 million books from libraries and universities, and they want to say if you're a li- if you are a school or a library, we'll let you have a terminal, and you can search everything. You'll be able to read it locally. We will pay all the licensing for this. People will be able to choose it, uh, uh, see it uh, on their own if they don't have one of these special terminals. Uh, and the way that these t- that the the founders were talking about this, it really was one of those really big ideas that smart nerds. Are, are do so well, which is people don't think this is possible because they can't imagine this being possible. But it will be possible if we actually work to make it happen. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it was uh, shut down. Of course, there was there were going to be legal arguments where uh, pub- people in publishing and copyright holders were saying you don't even get to index them, you don't even get to scan them. I know you're not letting people read them, but you did not have the ability to. You didn't have the legal right to make this copy in the first place. Uh, and uh, the U.S. courts. Uh, the uh, I have to go to the citation here. Uh, it was uh, under uh, the U.S. District Court of uh, Southern District of New York. Uh, it's, it does fall under Rule 23E2. I'm not going from memory or understanding. I'm simply stupidly reading what is co- copied and pasted on front here. So if, under the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, they said that, no, you don't get to do that. And so that's why Google Books is public domain stuff chiefly, and it will have some copyrighted stuff that you can again take a look at but not really download depending on agreements they have and boy that's sad though it really it really that's why i love that that they went there uh, uh the, the atlantic went there and said this is torching the modern day library of alexandria because oh what imagine the power that it would give to just random people to be able to research a subject all the way in depth and breadth just because they have a $10 Raspberry Pi and a web browser attached to it. It's kind of crazy because like reading the article, it seems like even people, like even plaintiffs in the class action were kind of like, well, we kind of, it's it's almost like the idea of it, the, the ideal of, again, like even having like, for example, like out of print books available and even providing like, you know, because authorship, as far as, I, as, as I've heard, I don't know, like maybe someone else can comment that authorship is not, you know, like not really a lifestyle of rich and famous for most people, most authors, you know, especially for technical books, which is kind of like people I've talked to that they don't get rich and famous out of it and they just want people to read the books. And so this is in offense, like the idea of it is that the opportunity to provide like people with access to books and access to things that are out of print was a great idea. It's just that people are afraid of like, of Google or of like the legal precedent it sets. And it's, it's so crazy to like, it was like reading the article. I'm like, well, everyone's like agrees that this is a great idea in like, in kind of like the abstract, but then we're just kind of nitpicking on like the specifics and, Oh my gosh, it's Google. And then like Microsoft like has an opinion on like, well, you know, why is it that these people can do it, but we can't. And then it's, it's just kind of weird. Like it's like everyone agrees it's a good idea, but it's now again, like the library of Alexandria is burned because we're afraid of legal precedent and slippery slopes and like one person having all the books. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think part of it is that it, it sort of, sort of slips. Here's one of the problems. If somebody has scanned in and corrected 
word for word, page for page, a novel that was published in 1968. That means, and it's it's been digitized. It's there, uh, and of course, I have to I'll have to pay for it when I get there. Uh, by statute, there is already a set date when this is supposed to enter the public domain. And that would mean that people would have access to this immediately as soon as a a piece of code somewhere on Google server flips a switch and says, no, now suddenly this is world readable. Whereas if I'm the estate of the author or if I'm the publisher that of a book that let's say that's uh, it's no longer the most popular novel in the world, but they still sell reliably 90,000 to 100,000 copies because it's being used in so many school curriculums. Maybe I'm going to fight to say that find some sort of angle that says that this is no, not going to be in the public domain. Uh, Disney famous, keeps fighting and fighting and fighting <laughs> by attaching well the when when we copyrighted a steamboat mickey it's was for the movie but we just filed a brand new uh copyright on the soundtrack uh today in 2017 so we get an extra 100 years on that it's like they will never snow white will never be in the public domain even though it should have been in the public domain by now i think and so i don't know it's it's so hard it's the, the article also goes into the legal stuff it's a lawsuit between the authors guild and google uh and basically the the article's making the point that the way that these things usually work is not that the industry tries to shut down this new technology they simply come to some sort of a licensing agreement that allows the industry to make money off of this new technology uh and it's just not unfortunately what happened in this case it's it's just tragic i mean do, do, do you guys ever research things in google books like go direct, directly to books.google.com yeah yeah I remember very fondly in my uni days, like when I was like in grad school and trying to like look for like really obscure books, really obscure technical books and being a, a you know university student, you're really poor. And so being able to kind of like look at these snippets and find things without actually having to buy them, like even like even just finding a snippet that just had like the one sentence that I needed for this particular paragraph of my academic paper was just amazing. And and, and, and like, yeah, again, like either like your university might not have it because it was written by some particular author at some university on some subject that might have been written like 20 years ago. So it's really hard to find. Or it's just like I maybe procrastinated or I just don't have that easy <laughs> access to it for some reason because I like to stay in my apartment and write my papers as opposed to going to the library like normal people. So, I mean, like, and I, I really think that the 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 kind of former academic type person inside of me really this is this was that really appealing thing because I had those late nights where Google Books kind of saved my butt doing a paper and I can imagine like tons of other people that either don't have access or maybe don't have like the funds to kind of purchase access you know easily would benefit from this and it just it makes me sad even just the, the speed of looking up some of this like I know there is a certain romance to the Dewey Decimal System and you know looking things up on index cards and then going and finding the book and then you know turning to page 614 where the thing is but at the end of the day like we have better ways now like if you can index something and you can get all the keywords and you can search by those keywords and you can find the exact passage that you're looking for, there's there's real power in that. And I, I know like I've kind of grown up with the internet all my life, but there is a, a lot of knowledge and a lot of sort of things locked up in books that is not on the internet. You know, these authors didn't have the internet when they were writing these books. You know, these books were published by, you know, a particular publishing house or whatever. And now it's it's kind of in that domain. And if it doesn't sort of make its way onto the internet, like people just might not find it. Like it is, it is relatively hard compared to typing in a search box versus going to a library and finding something. Like the the relative difficulty between those two is there's a there's a huge gap there. 
Yeah. And it's it, it's really the 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 lack of commitment that someone needs in order to do the search that makes it so powerful <laughs> that I I don't know I probably told the story before in, in on, on the podcast but where uh, the Boston Public Library has this beautiful statue in the middle of its courtyard a fountain statue uh and uh, because I've been living in Boston or near in the Boston area uh, all, my, all my life, and I'm a big fan of the library, and I do a lot of work there because it's a beautiful place to work, and it now has good good Wi-Fi. It's like you hear, you over your, the course of your life, you hear stories about this statue that was a big scandal, and it was removed because it was so uh, offensive. And bet uh, the uh, Betty Davis was the when she was before she was acting was the nude model for this. And so it just, well, gee, I actually, I wonder, so why did it, why was it thrown out of the library? And if so, what is this? How did it come back? And you go to, you go to regular Google or you go to Wikipedia and it will tell you part of this, you know, the, the sort of tourist guide version of the story. And some of this is going to be more detailed than others. But I went out to Google Books and I was able to start reading stuff that was being written at the time about it and really got me fascinated by this well okay now i've got these three questions that i had answered but now i've got 18 more and getting deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole until i'm like i'm now on year three and i've got just metaphysically metaphorically just binders and binders full of notes and data about the statue and the sculptor and the the political situation the socioeconomic situation in boston because again it's just a fast to me it's a very fascinating topic and uh, I now I'm at the now I'm at the point where I have exhausted every single possible keyword you could possibly do, and now I'm down to I just have to read every magazine published between 1890 and 1898 on the subject of art, <laughs> hoping that there'll be a mention of. Uh, that that that, that uh, a non-keyworded mention that I can connect to other data, and that's how starting with something that uh, because I was being deliberate like this, I found a mention that led me to finally finding a photo of the woman who modeled for it. I had her name a while ago, but I'm like I really want to get a fo- see what what she physically looked like, and it's it's not just that it's number one that. At some point, the Google the Google semi truck had parked itself outside of the Harvard Harvard University libraries and scanned in this bound collection of magazines from the 1890s. But it was also that I would never have spent tens of thousands of dollars crisscrossing university libraries. Just I'm going to spend weeks and weeks and weeks turning pages on the off chance. It's more like uh, it's it's a Thursday afternoon. I just finished uh, writing something. I really don't want to start the next thing. Hey, I wonder if I if I search through this, it will work. And so all this sort of stuff that's being locked up and bottled up. Um, now it's also tell again gets into the, the article gets into the legal stuff. Um, they there was they they did finally uh, the authors guild and Google finally came to some sort of agreement that was called the Google Book Search Amended Settlement Agreement that <laughs> came to 165 pages and had more than a dozen appendices. Ham- t- they hammered out over the course of two and a half years. Uh, so the, uh, the one of the principles in the articles described the negotiations as quote four dimensional chess between authors, publishers, libraries, and Google. Uh, but they basically made a deal so that uh, Google would be paying for copyrighted books that they scanned in and a way to steer steer 
purchases through that. So this is really what the publishers wanted, which is we don't want to quash this. We want to make sure that we're not cutting off our own heads by doing this. And then, however, it got bogged down, not because the offended parties were, were wanted it to end, but because, well, look, now you've got a problem where <laughs> essentially you're giving Google a monopoly on being a bookstore because – with the with Google Maps is not a monopoly on digital mapping because once that became a big successful product for Google, like Apple, can, Apple can buy a bunch of vans. Apple can equip them with lidar and uh, and other stuff and send them around driving around mapping. They can buy map data. Google can't say, well, look, fine, you spend half a billion dollars, build these custom scanners, build these trailer trucks, train these people, <laughs> get all these agreements with other people. It's like, no, there's going to be this one corpus of 100 million books that only Google has. And is the courts basically said that we can't give we're, we're not willing to risk giving Google monopoly on selling the public's access to the published word. And so apparently that was the that was the concept that caused the whole thing to, to fall down. Yeah, and there's a, there's a really sad sad quote from this article, Andy, that I wanted to pull out. It says, somewhere at Google there is a database containing 25 million books, so that's how far they got, and nobody is allowed to read them. I'm like, oh, just like I understand. I understand what went wrong, but I don't know. That just makes me sad. It kind of feels like a reflection, like, and, and I, as a software developer, I kind of have like, I, this kind of just kind of like kind of hits my attitude. I'll call it like a, a bad attitude a little bit about the way that our current system of copyright law and trademark law doesn't quite keep up with the kind of reality of our technology and the way that we're trying to move forward. And like, I think about things like, you know, we kind of worry in this day and age with like, with like the internet and the access of information, also about the fidelity and the kind of like quality of that information, right? So in this case, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, I, I mean, I think like, imagine like these days, you know, like we're trying to tell our like high school students, don't just use Wikipedia, right? Because you the, the information is not necessarily of like, it, it can be of like dubious quality or dubious, I guess, trustworthiness. But again, um, it's harder, you know, for us to kind of like, I guess, search through and like parse like, you know, tons of books like, you know, Andy and like doing all of his research on all of the art between 1920 and, <laughs> and, and to the present day. I'm not claiming And I'm it's normal. weird because, <laughs> no, no, but, but in, in effect, like, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we have solutions to this, right? We have information, we have technology and we have like the older, like, and I, I think even the article mentions it as like more higher resolution, like kind of like these really beautiful, like expanses of, of data and information and knowledge it's just that we have to connect like the old way of accessing it with our kind of new capabilities and technology and right now we're running into not a technological problem because google solved that but it's like a legal problem and and again it's kind of like our old way of doing things our old system of copyright and trademarks bumping into kind of our new ideas of fair use and and information and knowledge and and then again also bumping into and I think going back to the article, it's just like there are some people that kind of assume that, well, this is a worthy cause. Someone will pick up this cause and run with it that isn't Google, that, you know, maybe Congress will legislate something, that Congress will solve this and will will have access and funds somehow. But it all kind of like, you know, there's just a lot of things that aren't hooking up. And it's just kind of like a frustration for me that, you know, we have these big ideas and we have these like intentions, but that either legally or just like resource wise, we just, just something is falling apart. And that's just, it's just like really sad. It feels like we're kind of, in, in 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 an effort to stay fair, in an effort to not you know like crush other people's rights, we're kind of like losing these opportunities. And I don't know what the right answer is because certainly there are very valid concerns with not giving one company access to all the knowledge and the ability to set all the prices. But like, what about these opportunities? What about bridging that gap from 
you know, card catalogs and Dewey system to, you know, being able to make this knowledge widely searchable and widely available. Like, what's the answer? I don't know. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it just feels like in a lot of ways we, we tie, like as a society and us as in general, no, no fingers pointed at anybody in particular. We are tying our own hands behind our backs and like saying to each other, what do? And it's, it's just kind of a sad, it's, it's, it's just sad and yeah. no clear answers. Yeah, it does. I guess we'll. I'm sure we should. We need to move on in a second. But sorry. no, no. I'm, I'm. I'm just telling myself that I should. Like Russell, I can see Russell making the ad. We need to make money. We need to make money. <laughs> I, which, I, which, I'm to, which I'm totally on board with. I know. But yeah, it does. It does get a little kind of like sad, like near the end, because they're saying that well, now the legal stuff. Basically, that here the legal stuff has been settled to the point where all we need to do is make an adjustment to the law here, here, and here. But it's now the the obstacle against it is simply that. Number one, you really can't convince uh, elected officials to. We're going to make. We're going to. We want you to adjust copyright laws for this very esoteric reason that will be awesome for everybody, but it's not going to get you any votes. And you're going to have to like the time that you could spend on an issue that will get you votes. You'll be devoting to this instead. Meanwhile, although Google has the assets to continue to fight this and to continue to scan books uh, under the uh, what they're able to do under the existing laws, the existing agreement, it's like, you know how it is, like when you're, you're really committed to a certain project and then something happens and the air gets let out of the balloon and you've lost the momentum and nobody is there to really pick it up again. Uh, the most prophetic thing, after after comparing the situation to the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Ark of the Covenant, the most amazing object, is in a box somewhere, but being pushed into this big warehouse, uh, he asked <laughs> the author uh, James Summers asked <laughs> uh, asked someone who uh, used to work on that book project. Uh, said I asked uh, asked them what would it take to make the books viewable in full to everybody. After remember this database exists, it's on. I wanted to know how hard it would be to have been so to, would have been to unlock them what's standing between us and a digital public library of 25 million volumes you'd get in a lot of trouble they said but all you'd have to do more or less is write a single database query you would flip some access control bits from off to on and then it might take a few minutes for the command to propagate <laughs> <laughs> wink wink and roll credits <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that Oops. we want to advocate that uh, Google becomes more uber-like. Press, press the button and worry you know, about I'm, the consequences I'm, I'm saying, we, later. We, this show has a long tradition of asking Google to do things, not for the world, <laughs> but for themselves, but for us personally. There's got to be someone who's on, like, this is their last week at Google, and maybe, like, somebody <laughs> took, like, the somebody got to the, 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 the cafe before they did and got the last good chocolate cookie, it and happens. you need to strike back at the company somehow. Just write that database query, flip that bit. Don't tell anybody. Just don't tell anybody. Just give me the URL to the search <laughs> so I can get access to all these books. That's all I want. And we have both ends of this covered, Andy. Never let it be said that we're not responsible people because let's say eventually someone's going to find out you're probably going to lose your job. We've got the solution. Our second sponsor is Indeed Prime, and this episode is brought to you by them. Indeed Prime helps software engineers, you know, the ones that flick the switches, land their dream job. Candidates get immediate exposure to the best tech companies with just one simple application to Indeed Prime. The companies on Prime's exclusive platform message candidates with salary and equity up front. 
And the average salary for software engineers is $125,000. So just think about that when you want to flick the switch. Indeed Prime is 100% uh, free for candidates, no strings attached whatsoever. Uh, you can invite your friends to Indeed Prime and we'll give you $200 when they are contacted by a company and $2,000 when they accept a job through Prime. So you can start referring people now. Indeed.com slash Prime slash referral is the place you want to go. And we want to thank them for supporting this show and Real FM. <laughs> Andy's making the okay, point. This is point. seamless. He's oh, making the pointing well, finger no. back to me, and I, I, I foolishly had the uh, the ad read window in front of it, so I didn't see the finger oh, until it was until it was too late. Andy, sorry about that. You, you you added this one, and I realized that oh, this has been a really good show for people who love my voice and look. <laughs> if only Andy would have the entire show to himself. If only there were a show where Andy just didn't let anybody else talk. So like, perhaps I should just hang back for perhaps I'm sorry. some kind of a, an almanac style show, Andy, that that people could find. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> if they, if they search. No, I, I wanted to talk about this really quickly. We're running out of time, so I don't want to go into to huge lengths. But there was a re- report in the Wall Street Journal this week that um, Google is reportedly looking at adding ad blocking into Chrome as soon as like in a few weeks' time potentially. And I, I sort of dug into this. I found this really interesting, that whole sort of conflict between Google is an ad company, among a lot of other things. They are you know, a search company with, with ads around that. But they also make a really popular browser. Like in a lot of stats, you now see Chrome, you know, as high as 50% or more, like in some parts of the world. And that that is a huge chunk of the browser market. You know, that's where IE6 used to sit, you know, back in the day. And they have this thing, you know, they're, they're part of the Coalition for Better Ads, um, which has a set of standards for like, this is what we think are good ads and this is what we think are potentially not good ads. And I found it hilarious that while reading the Wall Street Journal, I had a a full screen pop-up ad appear over the top of my content, which according to the coalition <laughs> of ads is, is not a good ad experience. Apparently they've tested this and sh- shock horror, like users users don't like this. They find it a little bit intrusive. But I, I did want to get your thoughts on this that, I mean, you know, if if this does go ahead, this is still a rumour at this stage. It is in the Wall Street Journal though, to be fair. Um, is, is that a conflict of interest for like an ad company to be saying we're going to put this in our huge browser and you know, we're going to decide what, what's a good ad and what's not a good ad. It's it's weird, isn't it? Like, I mean, like, it's almost like Chrome policing themselves and also, but at the same time, it's just like, give us money, but we'll decide kind of later on. And I think, wasn't there something in the article that it was, they could possibly bl- block all ads from an advertiser if it didn't meet, like, if it didn't meet the standards? Like, it's not just even on a, someone please correct me if I'm totally misreading it. Um, and I think they said in the article, like, yeah, again, like, if you violate, like, just, even with one ad, if you violate the the acceptable ads um, kind of like rules that they could block you as an entire entity. And that does feel a little bit weird, you know, like a little bit kind of like too much, too much, I don't know, power in, in one person's hand. And like, yeah, we're, we're the venue as well as the police. Like we're the, I don't know, we're the street and the cops. Like <laughs> we're like, we're providing you the cars. We're, you know, like setting up like the traffic lights and the signs, but at the same time, we're also making the laws and also kind of being the judge and jury. They're like the judge dread of ads or something like that. So it it is kind of odd, but at the same time, and I, it, it kind of almost makes sense because I feel like ads are like the both it's like a boon to creators and a bane to like the rest of us. Right. And we, and I think on a, some like subconscious level, we all realize that ads are kind of important because a lot of the the content that we can consume is powered by ads. So we kind of like have like a begrudging like relationship with them, but at the same time, maybe it makes sense for Google, maybe for bad or evil or no, that, wait, that's two bad things for good or evil 
Sorry, sorry. That that was not no, any like kind I, I of like subconscious like Freudian sleep or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a Freudian sleep. But it, maybe it makes sense for them at, in a position in a position to kind of police these things to kind of be like, well, look here, here's here here are the rules that you will follow, and then rather than lead, leaving things to like you know like other other alternate third party um, ad blockers for for them to kind of have a hand in it. And I know like my parents, right, when they when I got them a new computer, they wouldn't know how to like, you know, block ads or they wouldn't know like what what they what options they had about it. They were just like, hey, um, there's all these things like on the screen. What do we do about it? Um, and maybe having it in browser is a user experience issue. I don't know that it's it's still kind of like you said, smacks of like a con- conflict of interest. But is it practical? I mean, maybe that's yeah. the way to go for a better user experience. It's kind of, it's yeah, kind of I, hard to say. The, the way I kind of think about it is if let, let's pretend Google is not an ad company, and they certainly are, so that's really hard to pretend. But if they weren't and they were just publishing Chrome, I would think this is a positive thing. You know, they've joined in with this coalition for better ads. I, I read through all the um, the various recommendations and do's and don'ts that, that they have, and the policies actually seem really reasonable. Like there's nothing in there that I thought, Oh wow, that's that's kind of overstepping the mark. They're like, there has to be ads. You know, this is how content is funded. Here are, you know, we've done all this user research. It's not just we've made this up. Here are what we think are good ads, and here are what we found that users really object to and don't like, and actually makes the experience of visiting your site worse. And at the end of the day, unless you're solely interested in the short-term gains of you know advertising money, you do kind of want to build a relationship with your reader for the long term. And I think Andy would probably know, you know, way better than I would because he he works for you know places like that but it seems like there's this real sort of squeezing down of here's what the people writing the content want here's what the marketing department wants and there's all sorts of back and forth of like but if we make this pop up over the top we get 10 percent more like isn't that a good thing like what's wrong with and there's a it's really it must be really hard not to press that button sometimes yeah i mean it's a, I, I i have nothing i'm i'm on the creator side of the firewall between you know <laughs> editorial and advertising but i'll just say just as a creator it's like i hate it when I want my words to be present. I, I spend so much time writing stuff and I put so much thought into it. I really want it to be the best experience possible for the reader. And it's sometimes it's, uh, there was one point in which the, the paper was using a really bad ad system and I'd be like, okay, this is great. I worked two and a half months on this. I, it was a 5,000 word thing that I had to cut down to 1,200 words. Then I added some more stuff to it because I kept thinking of better ways to put this. I put, I spent so much money researching this. I will never make it back on what I'm going to earn uh, on my, my, my fee for the, for this column. But oh, this is so great. And then I'm about, it's, is it on? Oh, great. It's on the site. And then I'm about to like tweet out the link and then I'll have to, before I click the post, the, 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 the post link, like, okay, deep breath. Because I know the first, I knew that the first like twelve reactions on this thing that I can't wait for people to see this is, oh man, I have to fill out a form and register. Screw that, not like, oh, I I tried to, I wanted to read your thing, but I I refuse to. You think that's a terrible ad? Like, yes, my my name is Andy, and Atko is only like my 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 maiden name. I'm actually Andy Anatko Sometimes I do run the entire <laughs> Sometimes paper. That was my decision. Perhaps if you could. Re- Perhaps you could tell me what you thought of the thing I actually did, but yeah, it's 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 the pro- it's the, the 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 problem of being of life as a giant. That if you are the biggest ad company in the entire world, and you say that we are going to make it harder for we're 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 going to control what ads people see in our browser, even if you are on the side of the angels. People are going to say, "Couldn't you abuse that in some way, shape, or form?" So I think I really do. Uh, you 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 really do see that 
uh, excuse me, I believe that they really are trying to create a better user experience for everybody. Um, I think that one th the way that they could sidestep all of that is saying that we will create we will create an ad blocker that only blocks content that is be deemed as bad for users by an outside industry agency. Meaning we can't add stuff to this list ourselves. But if you if the, this agency determines that uh, pop ups and uh, uh, videos that download and play when you scroll into them and things that take over the user experience are bad, we will add that. We cannot simply say that we decide. We have decided also that ads that use too much green are also bad. <laughs> uh, it's like because the the danger is remember th what happened when. Uh, it became very, 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 very politically useful uh, to, to 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 for uh, politicians to say that oh, comic books are are contributing to to youth crime and violence and degradation, and so the publishers said, you know what, we we are completely in agreement. So you, we don't want to, we don't want you to regulate us. We want to we want you to trust us that we can control our own industry. We will sweet clean up our own mess. So we have voluntarily, as a coalition, decided that we are not going. There is going to be uh, we're not going to allow magazines that have the word fear or the word horror or the word crime in them all these things that said oh let's see let's look at all the publisher all the comics being published by this one company that is owning the market okay they're they have crime illustrated there's turning it to horror so basically they created this industry to say let's basically knock the make it illegal for the most five popular comics published to be published anymore and maybe they'll make us <laughs> give us an opportunity so yeah I, I hope i hope that this moves forward in some way i think that you, i think that google and the, the, uh, an advertisers coalition could say that look we are we are actually doing this for your own good if you create we all we are doing is we're basically saying that by default these eight types of bad ads uh, are being are going to be blocked unless the person tries to turn it on again if you and but you're free to do whatever other kind of advertising you want if you don't get on board with this you realize that instead of being this default feature that people get for free inside their browser and they don't mess with and they don't really care about they are going to go out and buy a a program that's designed to block all ads from everywhere and you don't want that so perhaps you should just <laughs> work with us so that there is still a way for you to serve ads that do not drive people up the freaking wall or slam their hand desperately on the speaker mute button on their keyboard because they were reading an article on salon.com and they didn't realize there was going to be some sort of digestive pill ad blaring as soon as they scroll down after paragraph five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I mean, Chrome has added small things like this in the past. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe they were the first one to add the little speaker on the the tabs so that you could see which, and this is weird, it's it's a good user experience. Well, it's a bad user experience for sound to play at all because nine times out of ten you really don't want that. But if it does, it's it's nice to be able to see which yeah. one of your, you know, 20 open tabs is doing it and quickly, like, kill it off. Like, that that's one instance where, you know, they reacted to, to something publishers were doing. They're like, you know what? We can't fix this per se, but we can, you know, help you, you know, kind of have the tools to fix it. I mean, that's kind of good. I will also to uh, round out this article, Google actually did give a statement to um, Ask Technica. They said, we do not comment on rumour or speculation, they, they told them. We've been working closely with the Coalition for Better Ads and Industry Trades to explore a multitude of ways Google and other members of the Coalition could support better ad standards. So that's that's all Google saying on the record. It will be interesting to see, um, you know, if, if they go ahead and add this feature and also what form it takes, I guess, because 
you know, Chrome is one of those things that auto updates itself, you know, within a few days of a new version going out, most people, you know, have it. So it has the potential to be really widespread really quickly. Well, we're probably, uh, we, unless we have any more money to make off ads, we should probably, <laughs> thank, thank you. That's, that's, the, that's why podcasts will endure. There really is no ad blocker for, if you, hey, look, if you want to like, if you want to like keep like advancing every 10 seconds and listening to micro bits of the thing until you get past the ad, all power to you. Maybe it's just simpler if you listen to our Melissa's voices. Uh, when, where can people go if they want to see you, hear you, experience more of your wit, wisdom, and glory? Oh, I don't know about all that, but if they want to hear, <laughs> if they want to like read some of my useless drivel and see some of the weird things I put up on the internet, they can certainly just find me on Twitter at Queen Code Monkey, um, all one word. So, <laughs> all hail Queen Code Monkey. <laughs> Russell, <laughs> what, pl- 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 plug away. Which 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 you got today? <laughs> I obviously didn't get on our Twitter as as soon as Wynn did, so I only managed to get Rusty <laughs> Shelf. Queen Code Monkey is so much better, but they can find me at Rusty Shelf on Twitter. Queen Code Monkey also has the ability to, you can actually spell it phonetically, whereas Anatko, no. <laughs> <laughs> so as a matter of fact, I have I have two Twitter accounts. Uh, one is simply just like my my blog, Anatko.com, my Instagram, which is Anatko, and my Twitter, which is Anatko. I also have uh, I-N-H-A-T-K-O as a handle and the only thing is like the, the bio is hi you probably got here because you couldn't spell my last name correctly go to i-h-n-a-t-k-o on twitter instead so everybody so uh, thank you so much for listening to us this week hope you listen to us again next week in the intervening seven days remember all else is immaterial